Welcome back to episode two of season four of the BCLE, the Be Contagious Leadership Experience. And today we have author extraordinaire Rafe Bartholomew. You will love his journey. He's currently one of the authors, one of the writers, excuse me, for The Athletic. He's also a New York Times bestselling author. He does have three books out there, by the way. And he was also worked for Grantland and for Hoop Nation for CNN Philippines. So grab a notebook, sit back, get your favorite beverage, and listen to our conversation with me and Rafe. Before we get started, I want to talk to you about the power of gratitude. It is the missing superpower when it comes to our players, our coaches, our family members, everyone. You know, so I encourage you to head over to HernandoPlanels.com. We've put together a great 30-day gratitude journal called the High Performing Gratitude Journal. It's designed for your athletes, for your coaches, for your people to increase performance each and every day. You are going to unleash the power of gratitude and it, you will reach levels in your life that you can't even imagine. So head over to the website, HernandoPlanels.com. Hope you pick it up and I'll talk to you soon. Guys, welcome back to the Be Contagious Leadership Experience. We've got a great, another great guest today. He is Sir Extraordinaire Rafe Bartholomew, right? Did I say it right? You got it right. Yes. Uh, with oh. no rehearsals. We, we nailed it. No rehearsals. I usually get everybody's name wrong. In fact, everybody gets my name not wrong. They think I'm Fernando, Orlando, any other name but Hernando with it and everything, man. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm happy to be here. I mean, we've been in touch online for years, I know, and yeah. I wasn't sure whether to say Hernando, Coach, you know, H. <laughs> I mean, I've seen a lot of different versions, so I'm, you know, I'm, here we are. We're here, man. Well, I'm I'm glad we can make it work. Rev, you're, you're not, you have been writing for years. If you don't mind, just share a couple uh, of your work, like in who you've been working for, just to kind of give the elevator speech of who you are so can come up to speed. Right. So I'm, I, I've worked as a writer and editor over the course of my career in media and sports journalism. It started actually with me uh, moving to the Philippines after college, where I wound up writing a book about Philippine basketball uh, called Pacific Rims. And that really was the beginning of uh, everything for me, both, right. in, you know, career-wise in terms of things I might've wanted and things I never knew I, I, I was going to love as much as I do to this day. Um, and then, um, so I, I've written uh, another book of, that's not at sports at all. That's actually about my father and his career as a bartender in the oldest bar in New York city, where I grew up uh, and I was in the bar. I worked there and was kind of, you know, sort of like a coming of age tale in the bar. And then I got the opportunity also to write a, uh, or to co-author an oral history about basketball um, that was connected to basketball, a love story, the ESPN documentary. Mm. So I got to work with uh, Jackie McMullen and Dan Cloris, the, the director of the film, and, and they hired Jackie and I to sort of put together um, the oral history using their transcripts. So that's my, my career as an author. And, at the and while doing that, I've also been working at publications uh, over the years, uh, you know, from magazines about mm -hmm. current affairs and stuff, um, longest chunk of my career was spent at ESPN with the website Grantland, working for Bill Simmons yeah. there. 
and then um, have bounced around sort of ever since. Uh, and, and also, I mean, this is I, I love this stuff, even though it's a little bit lower profile. I've gotten to go back and work on TV documentaries about basketball in the Philippines a few times over the years. Um, so uh, it's been a lot. It's been quite a journey and uh, sometimes ping pong balling all over the place. <laughs> well, the great thing about right your journey is that a lot of people like they're like, yo, your background's unbelievable. You've been able to travel. You've been able to do all all these different things, right? Well, sometimes we we kind of forget, and I'm not saying you are, but that you know, our life is kind of cool, like right, like it's it's not a bad journey, even though it's so many ups and downs. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's it really is so cool. You think of the the, the opportunities that have come, the experiences that you know, so, so many, so few people get to to have and seeing different parts of the world, the people you get to interact with. I mean, I think especially of some of the experiences I've had in the Philippines where I have, I have gotten to play basketball with absolute mm-hmm. legends in the country. You know, they were retired, so they were, they weren't busting my, I don't know, you want me to, I, busting <laughs> you can my cuss, butt, no problem. You uh, cuss. Busting my ass. <laughs> they weren't busting my ass quite as much as they would have in their primes. Um, but, you know, I've gotten to be around people who are really, I mean, like at Jerry West levels, uh, right. Philippine basketball. And, and they, you know, they treat me like a friend and, and stuff like I, I, I almost have to pinch yourself like, wow, I, how did how did I end up here? I didn't, you know, three years before I moved to the country, I didn't even know this was a this person existed now right. it's like uh here i am it means so much to me um and and it's been and, and something like working for bill simmons having been to the man's house i mean yeah that is something that comes up all the time i'll tell you um people whenever i'm at like a, a wedding or anything they're like so what's he really like man what's he really, <laughs> what, tell me about bill and the truth I, this is the truth it's what i say you know it's what i'll say now it's what i he is he's exactly the man you hear on the podcast right the, the jokes everything is the same um and you know he, he you know i mean it is it's sort of funny the first time you meet him because it's like you i was expecting to hear a little something different too and right not, right there it's just sort of like you know this is this is exactly who i've known since i was like you know for me i guess in high school starting to read wow. columns. right wow no it's it, it is a beautiful thing how did you end up going to the philippines Right. Of all of, you know, and for a lot of people who don't who don't know, I think the Philippines, I know when I was there, either number one or number two, they download the most basketball, I know, NBA type footage than any country. Basketball crazed um, country. It's a religion, as you you know wrote in your book and everything. How did you get there? Basketball is what took me there. So I did. So I think the one constant throughout my life, um, you know, for, for better or worse, I mean, has been the sport of basketball. Right. Um, you know, I fell in love with the game at an early age. I was good enough to be a, a good high school player and, you know, play like club basketball in college. And more importantly, it was the love of the game that that mm-hmm. I sort of got and, and stayed with forever. I, I mean, I've I, probably have shown it on camera. I have a, a broken right. hand that I suffered about a month ago in a basketball game. Um, and, and, you know, probably against, uh, you know, doctor's orders, I'll be back on the court as soon as I can be. Yep. Um, so that's, it's just how, and, and it was basketball that led me to the Philippines. I, a lot of the time um, you don't run into a lot of you know, foreigners in the country who, for unless they, this is what people used to ask me all the time. They would say, "Are you a Mormon? Are you a missionary of some sort? Are you a Marine?" Uh, and I would be like, "No, no, I'm here to 
study the history of basketball in the country and right. what it means to, you know, to in, in Philippine society. And they'd be like, oh, so you're CIA. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> um, so it really was a sport that brought me there. And I wound up living in the in, in Manila for three years and have been back and forth, uh, you know, ever since for the, for the rest of, you know, to, to this day, I'm, I'm trying to get back later this year for the first time since, uh, since, you know, since the pandemic began. So that's, that's, that's a uh, fingers crossed. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and again, basketball has sort of been a, a through line through all of that. It's been, um, you know, the writing that I did about the sport is what sort of caught the eye of ESPN and um, the people working for Bill Simmons, who recommended me to work for them at Grantland back then. And it's and I've been and obviously it led to me getting to work on that amazing uh, book with Jackie McMullen, who's a Hall of Famer. And it's that's been the one thing that I've always found a way I've always found a way to play. Uh, no matter where I've lived and bounced around and, you know, no matter how bad I get as I get older. And right. uh, it's just, it's, it's, it, the sport has sort of been a through line for me. And that's what first brought me to the Philippines. I think, you know, people, if you're a basketball enthusiast, you have to not only read the book, but the other part is that you have to actually like look up online things, unless you're going to fly the Philippines and go to the different provinces and play basketball on the dirt rows in your chanelas, which is sandals, um, you know, in a broken backboard, not even a backboard, like a piece of wood. If, if, it, yeah, if you're lucky, a car, it could be anything. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's crazy. And I, so I, I coached college basketball. I was the consultant for UE, the university of the yeah. East, right? So they're in the rectal area, which yeah. people who don't know the rectal area is not the greatest of neighborhoods, but it's also right next to the capital. The, the, and so when I got there, you know, the, the first thing, the, the GM basically for it was like, Hey coach, so you don't go out of these gates. And I lived in a compound with all the players. Don't out go out of these gates after 7 PM. And I was like, I don't understand why. So of course I don't follow directions very well. So I, I leave, it's like seven, I'm walking around, the, the sun is going down and it just be, and I, there is no little I can't describe the shadiness and the fear that overwhelms you because you don't know what's happening because you're already warned. And, but then like you'd go through there, like I, I, I do it, it, not even tunnels there. I, again, I can't even describe it, but you're going through these different areas. And then all of a sudden you walk into this somewhat quasi small arena and there's like 500 people watching. It's not even a pro game. It's like, not even a, it's, I guess it's a league and they all have yeah. uniforms, refs. I mean, did you have the same experience? Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I, I consider myself lucky one, I think a, an advantage of being sort of complete, a complete foreigner when I, when I moved to the country was that I, you know, I have a lot of friends who I had a scholarship and in, in the same scholarship program as I, I was in, um, and but a lot a lot of them were Filipino American and they had family mm -hmm. in the country and their family was very protective of them for understandable reasons. I mean, it's a it's a busy city. It's very crowded. There is yeah. there is crime, uh, you know, and, and, but uh, for me, you know, I was sort of free to roam, uh, you know, and, <laughs> and, and what I quickly found. And this is something I think people find when you you know, it's like when you it. it the city you grow up in, you have these barriers up like, oh, you can't go to that place. But if you just show up in a new place and you don't know where you're going, you can wander around like an idiot in the places you should never be, or at least right. people think you should never be. 
And then you find that the people there treat you well. They, they're, they're, oh, especially, yeah. I mean, look, I'm six foot three. I was over there in my twenties. Uh, and there's a basketball game going on a, a three on three half court game in the street. Uh, some of those games, like you're talking about and like the, the municipal covered courts where yeah. that's one thing it blew my mind because these are, you know, the Philippines is not a wealthy nation. It's still right. a developing country. Um, but every neighborhood has a covered court that is up there with the best outdoor public courts I've seen. And I grew up growing up in New York city or, or playing yeah. outside pickup ball around the States where, you know, fiberglass backboards and right. a little arena, uh, good size. You know, it was, it was always like, man, this is the nicest public infrastructure <laughs> often is a basketball court, which is not really a good thing in a global sense. Right. But for a basketball loving person, it is a great, you know, you feel like, man, I could go anywhere and find a basketball court. And you see, I mean, I, I if you got to travel around the province at all, you, you start, you, you're like climbing a mountain or like, island right. hopping and on you you to your you ride a you ride a boat to a, to an island for an hour and a half and it's this tiny island and they got a nice court too yep. um it's it's just uh and i i do tell other people who really love the game that to put the philippines on their bucket list because it's a it, it's a it's a special place the passion for the game the the way it's deeply rooted in so in just everyone's lives is something that uh you can't experience anywhere else yeah, no, and and then on top of that, guys, it's the hum you add the humidity. It's also hot as which well. is, uh, again, one of those things you just can't describe. It's like cutting through a humid blanket. You're just walking through, and you 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 just add those things. So you went to the Philippines. You started talking, obviously asking you know ask questions, having interviews, and and everything else. Writing that book. Talk about the certain discipline. I think the responsibility of putting the best thing forward, the pressures that could probably, you know, come up with that as well too. And then how do you, how did you lead yourself? I know you enjoy writing, right? Cause you're a writer, but how do you lead yourself in, in making it the best you possibly can make it? Yeah, no, absolutely. You're right. Because, and, and that's something, one of the first lessons I sort of took in that process was sort of that having having to take a leap of faith myself and my ability to do that. Because now, if you ask me to, you know, write a book about something, I know how to get that done. I know steps, you know, A, B, C, D, all the way up to Z, and we're publishing a book. At that point in time, I had written magazine articles. I mm. had gone to journalism school, but I was 23, 24 years old. I didn't, I, 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 I if, you know, if you put me on a lie detector test, I wouldn't, have been able to tell you that yes, I can finish this book. I will do. I, <laughs> I get like I guarantee it. But I had to. I knew I wanted to do it. I I believed in the story. I believed that the the community and 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 the role of basketball in the country was this as special as I thought it was. And I and I believed that other people who didn't already know about that, who weren't you know who didn't have ties to the country would would feel the same way if they saw this book and so i i had to just go for it and i had to say and and that so i i really was uh the the discipline aspect was looking up every step of the way and finding creative solutions to um to to go to go through a publishing process that i had no one to to guide me through 
so I'm, and back then it, the, the internet was not quite, it was 2005, 2006. Right. <laughs> internet was there, but it's not quite as chock full of resources as you right. might find today. I remember I found, so the, you know, I, I, one of the hardest first hurdles for me was finding a literary agent because you, it is almost impossible to publish a book at a, at like a major publisher uh, without an agent. They, I think maybe at that point in time, 1% of books that or manuscripts that arrived like independently uh, right. would get published. So you needed an agent. Um, and I didn't know any agents. I didn't, I, I didn't, um, I didn't know how to find an agent. Uh, so I, I found a book that, 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 uh, listed sort of like the steps and how to publish a book, how to find an agent. And, <laughs> and I started looking up in the back of, um, magazines and, 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 and manuals sort of like who, or, or books I'd read, you know, the acknowledgements, they say, who is the agent? You know, right. it's a book that I had read the book that I had, uh, that sort of one of the books that helped me learn about Philippine basketball in the first place, uh, was, uh, by a sports illustrator writer. I checked out the back of that, saw his acknowledgments and saw who his agent was. So I, his, his agent didn't eventually become my agent, but it was someone I could reach out to. It was a start. Yeah. And people like that gave me feedback saying, oh, look, you're not ready quite for this yet, but you know, this is not a bad idea. You aren't, you don't appear to be an idiot. You, you <laughs> seem to be committed. So, you know, stick with it and like maybe go to another agency sort of down the, a little mm -hmm. bit further down in the, the, the publishing like food chain, but not just, just like not as powerful, not that they can't get it done. And, and so I ended up sending out, you know, I mean, and selling a book about Philippine basketball to a U.S. publisher. I mean, they don't like, uh, you know, these are these are um, English major people. I, right. I am too in a lot of ways. I have that side of me, but they don't all share my love for basketball or sports yeah. in general. Um, and so I really had to convince people that this this was as incredible a story as I thought it was. And I had to send out uh, 50 plus proposals. Uh, wow all you know with with a sample chapter of the book and 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 all everything each the proposal went out at about 50 pages okay. um, so i and this was and actually because i was in manila at the time um i i also the other thing is ask you know ask for help i had my father thankfully uh who was uh i would send i sent him proposals and he was in new york so he was able to mail them out for me oh yes i was I started, about to say yeah, Oh, my, the, the, I mean, one. The, so, uh, yeah, the postal service in Manila, it would have been expensive. <laughs> and I mean, my my record of receiving mail that I knew was sent to me yep. was not was not great over my right. years living there. <laughs> um, so uh, it was so so that and but through that process, I was able to find an agent. She was able to then guide me through the rest of to like make my proposal better. And uh, and also the, the, the other leap of faith aspect of it was. Um, sort of in selling myself to basketball people in the country. So I, I spent yeah. uh, an entire season with a team in the, the PBA, which is the highest level of professional basketball in the country. And it's also the second oldest professional basketball league in the world after the NBA. And I had to, even though I didn't have everything lined up yet, I had to go in and say, look, this is what I've already written. Here are my clips. Here's a story in the New York Times I got. Here's, a, here's another story I wrote about the league. 
uh, you know, can you set me up with a team and was fortunate enough to find a, a team and a coach that was interested in letting me hang around and be inside the locker room. And, and it was a lot of, um, you know, it was, it was a labor of love and a big leap of faith at the same time. And, and, uh, the I say one thing that helped me do all that work and stick with it, even though I didn't, I wasn't sure what the outcome would be. Why, even while I was doing it, um, you know, I, I was hopeful. I, I believed in the story, but there was I didn't have a I didn't have a contract in hand. I was right. doing the work and going to sell it after. Um, and the the one thing that helped the thing that helps me do do that is loving the subject matter. I mean, something like mm. a book. You is is difficult. It, it's a it's it, it's a passion project. It's very you can do it just for money, but it's a lot of work, and the money is not that big. Like if you if you want to do something just for money, you <laughs> ah. can you can find another profession than being a writer. Um, yeah, you know. Um, so it was, and 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 I think that 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 has been the case in other book projects I've worked on since then. It was I've been very lucky to work on three books that all were. I was really, I really, really loved the subject matter in one way or another. And, and I felt that internal drive, you know, I had this strong intrinsic motivation to keep, you know, to do whatever it takes and st- to, to, to get it done and stick with it and sell it if I needed to, you know, convince yeah. other people, convince people who, you know, in like, I keep going back to, you know, literary agents in New York who never heard of me you know, had never thought of Philippine basketball, never, you know, just like, this is all off the radar for them. And I had to go in there and, and, and convince them that this was a good idea, something to put money behind. And, you know, it, I, I, I look more people said no than yes, but it only yep. takes one. It only takes one to say yes. Um, That's right. I think it worked out for them. I mean, the book did way better than they expected, you know? Um, and, um, and it's still, and it's still in print more than 10 years later because, even though it wasn't something that the you know the New York literary community knew uh, was a big deal, it, it, it you know it, it it is and it continues to be something that people read and seek out to learn more about the sport in the country. Yeah, no, I mean I I just love your story in itself because right, it's all it's perseverance, it's pushing through. It's just like any athlete or any coach or any business leader yeah. for that matter. What would be? Do you have like your greatest? Philippine coaching story. Anything pops in your head? Because I'm sure there is a, <laughs> a few the way it is in the Philippines. There's a couple. I mean, I, I'd say, so the the team I got to spend the most time with uh, was, uh, w- you know, for the book was the Alaska Aces, who at the time were coached right. by uh, Tim Cohn, who is right. an American coach who, but who, but who moved to the Philippines when he was eight years old. Uh, and and is now you know the coach of another team, which is the most famous one in the country. And he's he's got the most he's won the most championships uh, now of any of any coach. Um, and he was already a very re- highly respected, experienced coach. Then now he's an even bigger deal. Um, two things that and so it was really a privilege to be around him, uh, see how he worked and taught and led his team. And also, uh, you know, just just have, have have him be so willing to open his doors to me. It could the two stories that always come to mind about that is uh, or that experience uh, that that season I spent with them. Uh, first is just uh, the how I remember interviewing him once about his how he started coaching, how he got into the sport, 
and his early years as a professional coach when he was mm. he and he he got he got to start very young he was he was usually i mean he would have players who were older than him when he at right. the beginning of his <laughs> career some of his vets would be older than him uh and uh he had to earn their respect and but but the, the story he tells is how he he you know he's famous uh, you know, one of the one of the things he's famous for is uh, so winning championships with the triangle offense, uh, you know, right. um, and this was something he was searching for a a an offense that he felt he, he felt comfortable with. He believed in and he thought he could win with. Um, and this he was looking for this in the early 90s, mid 90s. Uh, and he didn't he, he, instead of it wasn't like now where you could go pull up YouTube and find yeah. You know, oh, this is okay. You know, this did okay. Here's the, you know, like, but oh, this is the blind pig entry. This is all this. Like, he, it was he, he taught himself this. I mean, it, this is this was his one of his stories of perseverance and just, you know, willing himself into expert a level of expertise that that uh, wasn't taught by, you know, uh, Tex Winter, the originator of the, the 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 offense, coming over and doing a coaching clinic during the NBA offseason. This was Tim Cohn uh, pi- pirating, uh, intercepting the, uh, <laughs> the 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 feed of Chicago Bulls games that would be that was going to the U.S. Uh, Air Force and Navy right. bases in the country at the time. Like you know, he said you know I remember he got the big bunny ears and had on, on a television set. And had uh, you know the the, the tinfoil on it just so he could <laughs> and and he recorded bull the '90s Bulls games with you know Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Phil Jackson, um, and they were running the triangle offense and he saw what they were doing and over time charted it out by himself, being like I like this, I want to fit, I want to learn, teach myself this, and then teach it to my players, and slowly but surely he developed it and. I remember by the time uh, in the late '90s, when you know one of the Bulls coaches, uh, Tex Winter, that coach, visited him in Manila. It was the first time they'd met, and he, Tim said that uh, Tex, his mind was blown because he was like, "How did you figure this out? Like, you know, I, if I didn't teach you, how did you figure out?" And he's right. like, well, I, I just watched it until I could, until I broke it all down. And then I built it back up and I taught it to the players and they ran in. He was like, you're running this better than our NBA teams sometimes do. I mean, obviously the NBA teams had the players that, that, that they, they, they could, uh, they could break the rules a little bit, but um, it was, and, and that it's just an incredible story to me that, you know, he, he just taught himself this thing um, that, that, you know, now I think of the, Oh, I would just have to read a book or I would have to, I yep. would have to watch a tutorial. No, I mean, he just, he just, mm, reassembled it um and then the other thing you know tim what can you know the the other side of coaching is that i that i've observed with him and how he led is just like you know managing personalities and not just any personalities but professional athletes and and professional basketball players as you know in the philippines i mean anywhere they are um you know strong-willed confident men um but there's some of the biggest stars in the country there and and they and he has to get them working together and and not fighting and and there you know there he uh there was one game at halftime where it was was like a game five of the finals um and you know they 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 were playing terrible um and you know we're getting blown out and he knew they were gonna he, he said he knew they were gonna lose uh so at halftime he came in and just threw 
through the whiteboard across the room, almost <laughs> to the player, and just went crazy. And, and you know, and there there was also some infighting on the team at that moment. You know, the the, the you know two of the best players weren't getting along. They didn't, you know, one guy because they had very. They were, it wasn't um, jealousy. It was approach to how to how to play. They had such different personalities. One guy the most joyful, happy-go-lucky basketball player you've ever seen, right? He, right. He's, he, he is so talented. The game comes so easily to him. He knows everything without even having to be taught it in some ways. He had great instincts. Uh, and then another player who was just hard work epitomized, and they were the two best players. Um, but they clashed because, you know, he's like, hey, man, why are you taking it so easy? We're getting our asses kicked over here. And then the other guys were like, look, I'm playing my best. You know, it's like, you know, it's like, it's just life. Um, and, <laughs> and so they had this huge fight. I thought I was in there thinking, okay, the two best players are look like they're about to kill each other. Uh, you know, the coach just threw, threw a whiteboard across the room <laughs> and looks like he wants to kill both of them. This series is over. This, this, this is the end of the book. This is, this, this is part of <laughs> Shut it down. Um, and instead, uh, you know, and and the next day at the practice, you know, it was very subdued, still quiet. People, everybody was sort of still licking their wounds. But he was, I remember talking to Tim after that practice and, you know, they were going to be playing game six the next day. And he's like, I, I feel pretty confident. I think they're going to, you know, it's like it, this, this is the, that was the, the calm, you know, the calm before the storm, right. or it's just sort of like, you know, and, and, and he said, I mean, this is obviously sort of a coaching cliche, but I think at my, at that time, it was the first time I'd ever heard it. And he's like, look, I've, I've, I've been in a lot of six, seven game series before I've had these kind of fights, you know, we're either going to win or we lose. And if we lose, we're all going to go home pissed off anyway, whether we like each other or not. And, and we'll just have to come back next season. And if we win, winning heals everything. Yep. Um, and, you know, they won the series. Everybody, you know, everybody got bonuses. Everybody, you know, everybody was, you know, planning to, to go to Disney World together, literally. And uh, it was, it, you know, it was just one of those seeing how calm he could be when it seemed like everything was falling yeah. apart. Like he, he, he. Even even when even in his anger, when he threw that whiteboard, he was still calm. He knew what he was doing. And, and that, that's something that obviously comes with experience, but also temperament. Like he 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 was able to be to have a will that could match that of, of all these really, really, you know, like top athletes in the country. Yeah. People don't realize Tim Cohn. I think he's won close to maybe 30 championships. Say, it's up into the 20s now. I think it you was know, 30. Um, I was there for, I think, number 13. <laughs> Yeah. You know, how crazy. And I think a lot of times too, you know, I think in, in during the year, right. The regular year, there's about two or three yeah. pro leagues that go after each other. So that helps, but imagine the experience that, he, that, that you have to do. And in the Philippines, I mean, the other part that I think a lot of leagues don't ever talk about is that in the Philippines, especially, I think like one owner owns like five or six teams. And at the time, I think Alaska was like its own, type of like entity team that didn't have the big money. So he had to like trying to get players to come over and everything else. Cause they were all part of the contract negotiations. I mean, it's, it is uh, what he, I think. Yeah. Tim is now the coach of Hinebra, I think, yeah, right. Yeah, Hinebra is the most. Hinebra and they're, yep. they're sort of like the long term, long time, you know, fan favorite of the entire country. Um, uh, and uh, it's, it was sort of amazing. And they were huge rivals with Tim's team because yeah. Alaska is a milk company. And right. 
Hinebra is a gin company and like Alaska was trying to be wholesome good boys. You know, yeah, Hinebra yeah. always Hinebra was always the, one of the most physical teams and they brought in like a very, you know, street tough crowd. Um, right. And it was just uh, and so I remember when he first went over to Hinebra, it was sort of people were like, how's he going to do this? He's not, yep. he's not Hinebra. He's an Alaska boy. Um, yeah. But that's another thing. I mean, the, that flexibility is something that has clearly, clearly a, a key to, to his, his success. I mean, he, he hasn't succeeded in, in one place now it's been three. Right. And I mean, and you are technically a superstar in the Philippines because you wrote about Philippine basketball. I don't know. If, I think I think my I think I might be like down to to like G list at this point. But I, <laughs> I there was a moment where so look, I mean, the the attention, uh, putting putting the international attention on the sport really uh, really did resonate with the, with with um, you know Philippine readers because it's something that people everyone in the country knows that mm -hmm. basketball is this, you know, national treasure and that there's this really amazing culture around the sport there. Um, but uh, not too many because, because the country doesn't do great in international competitions and there hasn't been a, you know, a born and bred Filipino uh, NBA player yet. It's, it doesn't have the reputation in, in the rest of the world that, that matches up to, you know, how passionate the country is. So, so to shine that spotlight on it, um, I think really did mean a lot to, to, to a lot of people. And I think it, it also, um, you know, I, I mean, I've heard over the years from, um, you know, dozens, you know, uh, Filipino American readers who grew up playing basketball, loving the game, um, but, but not, you know, hadn't, gotten the opportunity to, you know, visit the country yet. Um, yeah. They're yeah. born and raised on, you know, over here. And, and then like, Oh, wow. Now I got to get why my dad is so crazy about basketball. Why my right. uncles, you know, why my, why my uncles spend every Sunday morning, you know, like, like at, at the, at the league and how, yep. you know, it's, it's, um, it, so it really, I think it did, it did connect in that way. And, and I'm, I'm uh, grateful for the way that people opened up to me and let me write that book. Um, and also, um, you know, and, and I think the thing I've been proudest of with that is how I, um, how, how, uh, it, you know, I, people said I got it right, you know, like, the, like, because yeah. like, unfortunately people in the States to an, to a non-Filipino audience, you could probably make up things about the country and like, right. like people would just be like, oh yeah, okay, whatever. Um, but there you know you you can't you can't bs the the, the people who live it and and yeah. the fact that they thought that i did a good job with with their story uh is really the, the thing that mean, meant the most to me and still means the most to me yeah you know it, it is it is a, it's a fascinating country i mean i was supposed to go this year i'll probably go next year i still have brothers and sisters who live in manila um, and I think, you know, again, just for the audience, it's, it's, they don't quite understand, you know, Manila is what I think last time was like 13 million people live in Metro Manila. And then it swells up to like 18, 19 million people a day. So the traffic people going to, you know, to a game, going to practice, you probably just trying to get to one place to another place is so difficult. Um, because you're just in traffic half the time. I took so many naps in the car in the Philippines because of traffic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I was, I, 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 I could, I think, it, I mean, I'm glad I did it. I learned to commute. Um, cause I didn't, I, you know, I was sort of on my own when I started and it was my way of learning my way around the city yep. and feeling, you know, just sort of, and also like I, I grew up, you know, I went, I, I had an hour and a half ride to the, to my high school 
in on the subway uh, growing up in New York. So it felt it, it was like my home in some ways that that part of life felt more familiar than, to me than 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 a lot of things and helped me get started, get my feet wet on the ground. there. Yeah. One of the, the most, I think, impressive things about you is that, you know, your ability to communicate, obviously going to another country without really not not knowing, a whole, you know, get getting embedded um with the team and a culture and basketball then of course going to grandland going to all these different you know places and venues and things you you have how important it is to relate connect with the different people that you come across and have you ever thought like how you do it right like how, how how can i do it at a level where you probably know people who haven't been able to to crack that code i think i mean i i I think some of it, I, I don't think it is, um, you know, I don't think, I, I don't think it's something that you're necessary. I mean, I think you can be born with it, but I think it's also something that you learn over time mm-hmm. through experience. Um, I've, uh, you know, this, who it's hard to, to really explain. Like, I can't tell you that this is 100% the way it is, but right. for me, I've always believed that my experience growing up, you know, in another big city like New York, um, where, you know, uh, where I, when I was commuting from an early age, when I was just you're just around people all the time mm-hmm. and had experiences, you know, with with, you know, through sports, through school, through just being being a, a person growing up in a diverse city, you, you get to you, you, you feel comfortable in a lot of different situations. And it, it sort of gives you and it gives you, a, I think. For me, I, that what what I think has worked, or and what I sort of believe in for myself, and and try to be, is a sort of com like a combination of uh, inwardly very confident in myself. Like if I am going to try to do something, it's something that I think that I can accomplish. It's something, and 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 I so far have usually been able to make that happen uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, and if it's and, and but but also outwardly being humble you know listening mm-hmm. to people i don't i and i know people i mean you can also be extremely charismatic and 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 funny and a huge smile <laughs> and all those you know and that works too it sort of depends on what kind of personality type you have for me i'm a, a more of an observer at first and and you know kind of come out uh, come out of a shell as as you know reading the room um i think it, it has you know, i think the one thing uh, so, so to me, it's sort of like a combination of believing in myself, but not necessarily needing to, to, you know, play that on a stereo, like, you know, right. on my, on my head, uh, to, to announce it to everyone that, Hey, I think I'm the shit, you know, um, yeah. you know, uh, so, uh, but, um, but I, and, and that works for me. I think the other lesson I take from that is, um, is, is cause I, and seeing so many people who managed to, you know, uh, communicate effectively, whether as leaders or as, you know, teammates, uh, co-workers in different ways, it's, it's the, those who are the best at it, they're doing whatever they're projecting. It is, it feels like an authentic version of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so if someone is a big personality and can, can sort of like, you know, first time someone who first time they walk into a room, everyone can feel it. And just like, Oh, this, 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 this person is, is, you know, is here to, to, to take charge. Um, um, you know, as I think the, that only the, that, that doesn't work if it's not something you're comfortable doing. Like if you try Mm -hmm. and do it, if you fake it, 
people can can sense it and they can sense it across you know i think i think people can sense it across language barriers across cultural barriers i think you know that you know you you being being yourself but being open uh is 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 something that that i try to do consciously but also um think uh has it comes naturally to me in some ways or at least feels comfortable to me and and i hopefully has made the people I've, I've interacted with throughout my life feel comfortable around me. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, obviously, you know, your journey and I, and I, I like focusing on that so much because it, it is a lot of people who listen to podcasts are, you know, coaches or leaders, or they're trying to get their life. I don't want to say on track, but I think a lot of us uh, at times are wondering where we're headed in life, right? Even the people who supposedly have made it, you know, we're all wondering, you know, what's going to be next or what is five years from now, 10 years from now. So, you know, your insight has been absolutely really amazing. Um, I got one last question for you. Um, and it's this, when they make the Rafe Bartholomew full feature film movie, who is playing you, sir? Wow. Uh, that, that, uh... I've thought about this with my dad. <laughs> when I, I thought about who would play him in a movie about the bar where he worked. Um, yep. and, and that would have been Ed Harris, I always thought. I thought yeah. you know, <laughs> he had that kind of authority. He can, you know, he, he's a good guy, but he can get he can get tough on you in a hurry. Um, me, ooh, all right, let me let me think fast. Um, who would I want to be me? Um, <laughs> I got I feel like it's gonna be <laughs> Uh, all right, look, it's the first name that came to mind and I'm laughing at my, you, you all can laugh at me because it's a, yeah, it, it, it's worth, it's worth clowning me over. Uh, maybe Channing Tatum. I, like, I love you know, it. Yes. He's, he's funny. Um, you know, he, he actually, as I mean, obviously um, he's, he's a better dancer than I ever was <laughs> and uh, probably a lot more handsome. And, and uh, I wish I, I had had, you know, his, uh, his, his body, at least in terms of, uh, the cuts, uh, <laughs> even in my very best shape, but, um, you know, he doesn't take, he doesn't seem to take himself that seriously. He's, no. he can, he's really good in those comedy movies. Um, he's a lot, I think he's smarter than he lets on, you know, as a public figure and he seems, you know, so, so, and, and shoot, I mean, who wouldn't want to be played by, uh, you know, uh, some pretty, pretty, pretty good looking person. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, everybody, you know, listen, Rafe, it's been great having you on. Uh, you've got to pick up all three of his books, Basketball Love Story, Two and Two, McSorley's My Dad and Me, and of course, Pacific Rims, which you spent the whole time pretty much talking about. If someone wanted to reach out to you or you on social media, what's the best way to send a message for you for all our uh, listeners? Sure, absolutely. So on uh, on Twitter, I'm uh, it's my high school nickname. <laughs> this is my first my first uh, a like AOL uh, screen name, or, or, you know, <laughs> uh, on AIM Messenger. Uh, Rafe Boogs, R A F E B O O G S. Um, and uh, I'm also on Instagram. It is harder to 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 explain because it's a a pun in in Tagalog, but uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's spelled Tio Paeng uh, or pronounced that way. Or <laughs> there's there's another way to pronounce it that's actually a little bit rude. Um, it's anyway. It's T I Y O P A E N G. Um, and even though people have told me over the years, man, you you gotta you gotta quit it with those high school nicknames or some <laughs> name that 
the Alaska Aces gave you when you were hanging around them in 2007. Right. You got to like be a professional. Change it to Ray Bartholomew. I, I'm, I'm attached. I, I that I, those mean something to me. So, yep. um, you know, uh, and, and, but, but if you are able to, to find me through those confusing old names, uh, I, I, I can't wait to hear from folks and, and I, and I always try to respond. I love it. All right, Rafe. Thanks so much for joining us, man. I appreciate it. Amanda, thank you. Hope you enjoyed my sit down with Rafe Bartholomew. Don't forget to follow him on all his social media accounts. Do me a favor, head over to iTunes or wherever you listen to the Be Contagious Leadership Experience. And if you don't mind leaving us a comment, rate the show. We're doing everything we can to improve and raise the level of podcast everywhere. I know that's a tall order, but with your help, we can get there. And last thing before we leave, I want to remind you that you are powerful. You are amazing. You are great. And your impact on this world is huge. Don't ever, ever forget about it. Till next time, we'll talk soon.